Good stuff. We have your Bibles open up to Ruth chapter 2. We are in the second chapter. This is where Ruth and Boaz meet. Their love story begins. How many of you are single in the house today? Go ahead and throw it up there. All right, young men, that was your chance to find one. We are in the business of helping you, you know, he who finds a wife finds what is good. That means even in a swipe right world, it is your job to go and approach a godly woman and treat her like a godly woman and pursue her like a godly woman. I don't care what short change the uh, internet has taught you about dating, um, but it's your job to graciously, not in a creepy way, which some of you need to figure out the difference between a creepy way and a gracious way, but a graciously approach and be like, hey, I noticed there's no ring on your finger. Do you go to Bible study? It's a decent opening line. I don't know. I noticed as you were worshiping the Lord, there was no Shekinah coming off that finger. Maybe I could date you. And one day, put some Shekinah on that finger to where the glory of God would shine off that. It's church jokes. And four, four of you are amused. The rest of you are a little perturbed. I don't know. Um, here's the deal. For the first time in American history, there are more people who are single than married. People are marrying later, which isn't necessarily simple or bad. Um, for many reasons, many people want to be established in their career. Many people um, want to find the right person, and that can be challenging, I hear, uh, from time to time from some of the single people. Um, those that are Christian, for some reason, often don't have chemistry with you, and those who aren't Christian, uh, they're a really big project, and before you say I do, you want to make sure that they're going to at least clean up somewhat before you marry them. So there's more single people in the country than there are married. What we have happen in the book of Ruth is a unique story. We get a newly widowed single lady named Ruth and an older, uh, wise, godly man named Boaz who's single, who have their paths crossed providentially in a field during uh, the first barley harvest of the season. And they strike up a relationship. And over the next two weeks, we're going to look at uh, some encouragement for the single people uh, and also some encouragement for those of us that are um, maybe married and we're trying to figure out, you know, like how do we get our marriage to become better? Well, it takes uh, you individually uh, being submitted to the leadership of God, being transformed and being malleable by God. And so I want to do a unique message today that looks at the character of Ruth as a character study for what it looks like to be a godly woman. Ruth is by no means perfect. She has many imperfections, uh, but there is a lot we can learn about the godly character that's there. So if you're a single guy, uh, perhaps the application is, is the girl that I'm eyeing and considering getting uh, close to and asking out on a date to the Waffle House over candlelight for a T-bone and eggs. Is she this kind of woman? And if you're a single lady, perhaps the question you can ask yourself is, is this the kind of Man, or excuse me, am I the kind of woman that's dateable? Am I doing the work that I need to do to be a woman of God so that God can bring a man of God along beside me and we can honor God together? So we're going to look at that. If you're a parent, I would encourage you uh, to consider uh, the kind of people your kids date. Some are like, well, that's none of my business. Well, it's absolutely your business uh, as a parent. It's one of the greatest tasks you have to make sure that they don't marry dumb. And so, mom, dad, like, this is an opportunity for you to consider, like, is my child about to marry dumb? In fact, if you go back to chapter 1 of the book of Ruth, Naomi, who is the mother-in-law of Ruth, she prays this prayer of blessing. In Ruth, chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, she says, On the way, Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, Go back to your mother's homes and may, so here's the start of this prayer, 
and this blessing. Here's what she prays. May the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. May the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. Then she kissed them goodbye. So her, her prayer was, may the Lord bless you, may God be kind to you, and may he give you a new beginning. And by the time we come into chapter 2, this prayer of blessing has begun to be answered over Ruth. Simply put, parents, do not underestimate the power that lies within a praying parent over the life of their child. Do not, do not underestimate the power that lies. Your child may be wandering today. They may be going prodigal today. They won't even show up to church with you on Mother's Day. But keep praying. On my wedding day, uh, I was quite the character in high school, not the man that you know on this stage. Uh, I broke commandments like people eat Tic Tacs. I had a lot of problems and a lot of Jesus space that needed to be filled with a lot of Jesus in my life. And on my wedding day, my mom came up to me, looked me square in the eye, and she said, Son, I prayed women into your life, and I prayed women out of your life. You're welcome. And I thought in that moment on my wedding day, gosh, you did run some people off of my, from my life. Like there's some people that aren't here now because you, like, I, I guess you were praying the whole time. I, I don't understand it, but never underestimate the power of prayer. That's the first thing I want you to see as we approach this text. The second thing is this, for those that are single in the room, most of us prioritize chemistry over character, and that's why we marry dumb. So if the chemistry's there, we overlook the character issues that should be signaling run. And instead, what ends up happening often is if the chemistry's strong enough, we will endure character issues for long periods of time that get us into situations that we don't want to be in long term. And you end up complaining and groaning even though the chemistry was good in the beginning because you didn't pay attention to character. In dating... Character matters. It matters, I would argue, more than chemistry. Now, I understand it, you can't just find a person of great character and go, we're going to be in love together forever because you see things with your eyes and you want to be drawn and get the butterfly feeling or whatever whenever you see them. And I understand there's a need for initial chemistry. But when chemistry is there, you need to be careful because chemistry will blind you from seeing character. Most dating happens confirm that chemistry is essential to a good start in a relationship, but unfortunately, chemistry can cause you to ignore the most important aspects in considering whether or not to date someone, which is character. So before we go into this book, I just want to have a little bit of fun with you. I'm supposed to be quick in this part because it's seven quick points I want to show you about a woman to run from, and this comes straight from the book of Proverbs. There are seven women the book of Proverbs says, run, don't hang out. Don't, don't figure it out. Don't, don't see if you can get them to come to church and the barefoot man can preach the gospel and like gobble, like, like run. Like it starts with run, okay? Seven women the book of Proverbs says to run from. Number one, attracting with the wrong thing woman. You run from that woman. When she attracts with the wrong things. Uh, I met a guy who became a believer later in life, but in the early 90s, he wrote a song called, I like my women just a little on the... Apparently you've heard it. Um, <clears throat> huh. Yeah. Some women use some aspects of them to allure and draw men. And if that is what they're using to draw you, know that it's on the market to draw others. Proverbs warns against this. It says, then out of the door came a woman to meet him, dressed like a uh, every Halloween in all of the country. 
Can I just have a soapbox for a minute and say Halloween is not an excuse to dress like you are a woman of repute? Can we re like, like if you're going to do that, like somebody's like, we don't do Halloween. We ha- hallow him in our house, not hallow. <laughs> okay, I, that's great. But if, <laughs> but if you're, if you're going to do it, like can, can you at least not go here? Like, like, how dare you? I'm body positive. I'm glad you're positive about it, but I don't want to see your body positive. Like, keep your body positive to yourself. I know it ain't popular in 2022 because everyone wants to, hey, here's my thigh. Like, I don't want to see your thigh gap. If, if I ain't your husband, if I ain't your husband, I, I don't need to see that. I, like, I leave it to the imagination. Like, like, Victoria used to have secrets. They're all out. I ain't got no secrets no more. Some women attract with the wrong thing, comes out dressed like a prostitute with crafty intent. What, what am I saying? They know what they're doing. It's like, it's like the old movie uh, Sandlot when they're sitting there looking at Wendy Peppercorn and this one kid goes, she don't know what she's doing. And the other kid goes, she knows what she's doing. <laughs> she knows exactly what she's doing. Okay, don't... don't Play around with that. That's not something that you want to get involved in. Attracting with the wrong thing, woman. Number one. Number two, the overbearing woman. Now, now just to be clear, next week we're going to talk about the, the qualities of Boaz and the characteristics that you run from when you don't find a man of God. It'll be a lot of fun next week. So don't think, oh, you're being mean to, to the ladies. No, next week we'll be loving to the men as well. Uh, number two, the overbearing woman. What does it say in Proverbs? Proverbs chapter 7 and 11, it says, she is unruly and defiant. Her feet Never stay at home. This is not like lady in the kitchen, husband in the living room. Like, no, no, no. The idea is that she's constantly wandering outside of her covenant marriage, outside of her relationship that she has, to look for something else to satisfy her. Her eyes are always wandering and looking for the next thing. There's no peace around them. There's no tranquility around them because they're always in search for something that's not there. Once they have you, they want something different. So you're just the next thing that they chewed up on their way to the next thing that they'll chew up going down that road. Overbearing woman, run from them. Number three, the unfaithful woman. Proverbs chapter 7 goes on to talk about this. It says, she is often in the streets and markets soliciting at every corner. She threw her arms around him and kissed him. And she said, verse 19, for my husband is not home. He's away on a long trip. I never will forget, I was in uh, Orange County, California at Saddleback Church, and Kay Warren got up, Rick Warren's wife, and she said, I need to let you guys know about a very difficult time that Rick and I went through several years ago when I was having a mental and emotional affair on Rick. I said, what? That's Kay Warren. Like, like I, I know you may not know who that is, but it's kind of like, you know, she's a big deal. She loves the Lord, and Rick loves the Lord, and, they, and she said, I found myself dressing every day as I was going to work with another man in mind. And it was, it was carrying her down mentally a path of unfaithfulness. Many of us think that adultery doesn't happen until there's physical contact. But Jesus said you committed adultery with the woman if you look lustfully at her in your heart. You see, the, the idea is this. Before sin is ever conceived, it's usually thought of and practiced in the head over and over again. You run through scenarios of how you can conceal it. You run through scenarios, and you think it's, it's, it's not a problem because I'm just thinking it. But that, that is the problem because it's between the ears before it's ever between the sheets. And for a lot of us, what we don't pay attention to is this kind of unfaithfulness that we practice whenever we wander around a serial date. Like, I'm going to date 25 people, and surely this will not create any baggage, and it'll go well. And we'll put it on TV for everybody else's amusement and their enjoyment. 
So we practice unfaithfulness straight through the entire dating of the relationship. Then we end the show with you getting engaged, and it's going to last forever. <laughs> Shaw, yeah. you got to watch all the crap you just did. I love you. Huh? And then you go over somewhere else, and you say the same thing to somebody else. And then you think, I'm going to sit on the couch with you thinking that you were only kissing me, and I'm going to be like, oh, this is fine. No, it's not fine. That's unfaithful. I don't want you to be unfaithful to me. So you're like, you're, you're picking on my show. I don't care. Like, I don't, it's a terrible show. Unfaithful woman. Number three. Number four, you run from a sin-loving woman. A sin-loving woman. Now, all these songs sound like a country song, don't they? And if your dating life looks like a country song, you should run from your dating life. Like, it shouldn't fit in Travis Tritt's new song. Like, it shouldn't work that way. A sin-loving one, Proverbs chapter 7 goes on to say this. With a brazen look after she kissed him, she said, I've just made my peace offers and fulfilled my vows. This is what I call deep south Christianity. I went to church. I paid off God so that I can go and live however I want to in my dating life. I mean, everybody's Christian down here, apparently. At least I'm for six months now trying to convince some of you by the gospel that many of you have culturally got this idea of Christianity that has not led to transformation in your life, and maybe you aren't Christian, and maybe you should seriously consider that. In Matthew chapter 25, there's this entire group that compartmentalized their Christianity into very neat parts, and they went on mission trips, and they served at food banks once a year, and they paid their offerings, yet they're hearing, depart from me, for I do not even know you in the very end. And that, that terrifies me, but in the South, everyone's like, oh, I'm good, you know. I'm Christian, except for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. But on Sunday, it's what I love about Sunday. Okay, okay. More country songs. You see, that this isn't good. Sin-loving woman. She's already paid off her vows. You're the one that I was looking for. I came to find you, and here you are. My bed is spread with beautiful blankets with colored sheets of Egyptian linen. She, it's not that she's sinning and feels guilty about it. She's got a process that she cyclically is repeating. We go to church, we pay off God, we sin and revel in it. We go to church, we pay off God, we sin and we revel in it. How, how many of you are in a similar cycle in your own dating life? I never will forget I was watching a documentary about a Christian group and some missionaries that were in Brazil. And they would have these uh, evangelistic outings with thousands of people that would worship God. But they were talking to some of the leaders, and the ministry leaders had grown to despise what was going on uh, with the big outings. And they asked the ministry leaders why, and they said, because all these people that are here are raising their hands and worshiping God passionately, but none of them have any intention of stopping sleeping together and serially passing STDs around, which is a big problem right now in our community, and, and continuing to uh, cycle through each other as if, you know, like physical... Uh, as if being physically honoring to God is a suggested idea in the scripture and not something that's commanded or called of. And so it's frustrating because we see them worship today, but they'll be sleeping together tomorrow. Is that you? Sin-loving woman, you run. Number five, it says this, the fifth person to run from, is the quarrelsome woman. It says the quarrelsome wife is an annoying and constant dripping on a rainy day. So what is it like to live with someone that just loves to fight? Why are we fighting? Because it's fun. Why are we arguing over, you know, which biscuit's the best? Because it's fun. It's like their pastime. It's like a dripping of water. Drip, drip, drip. And if the chemistry's there and it's strong, you love it for a while, but then all of a sudden, it's getting uncomfortable in here. Some of y'all don't like what I'm 
It's reading the Bible. It's quarrelsome. Quarrelsome woman. Look what it goes and say. It's better to live alone in the corner of an attic than with a quarrelsome wife in a lonely home. I mean, think about that idea. It, it, it can get so bad that I just need my own room up in the attic corner and I'll give them the house. Think about what happens when marriage gets bitter. Whenever you have a couple that doesn't get along that through quarreling get to a bad spot. What, what ends up happening? You end up with TVs in multiple rooms. And one spouse is in one room and the other spouse is in another because they don't want to be together. Why? Because quarreling's no fun. Run. If you're already fighting. Let me, let me just be clear. When you're dating someone, they're the best version of themselves that they will ever be. It's 90% lies, 10% truth the first month. Like, they, you're into cross-stitching, so is he. No, he's not. You love staying in on Fridays and just watching Disney movies? Oh, he loves that too. No, he's not. He likes watching horror movies and Marvel, and he needs Jesus, okay? He's eating canned cheese in his parents' basement. Don't let him lie to you like he's sitting down in his parents' basement with some chicken and a biscuit and some cheese, and he's sitting on there spreading it, watching Aladdin on the weekend. That's not what that dude is doing. He's playing Xbox. He's like, hasn't showered in a few days with his friends, but he'll tell you, I just love Disney, because you love Disney, okay? So if you're, if you're dating and you're already fighting all the time, that's a good sign that it ain't going, you should run, that you shouldn't stick around in that quarreling relationship. Sorry, this is too practical for y'all to get behind it, but number six, uh, another woman to run from, according to Proverbs, is a nagging woman. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 15, back to it, it says, uh, yep, is as annoying as a constantly dripping on a rainy day. Stopping her complaints is like trying to stop the wind. You're in the car, and you're like praying, God, Holy Spirit, baby Jesus, we got to get out of this car, and I'm afraid she's going to bring what's in it out. And so, God, could you please just let it stop me? Open the door, and you're like, oh, never mind. The wind's out. Like everywhere you go, it's like catching the wind, you can't stop it, or trying to hold something with greased hands. I wish the Proverbs were more practical. It's dripping a roof. It's constantly celebrating mistakes or weaknesses in their partner's life. Like if you're dating someone and they get a joy out of you stumbling and screwing up, run. R don't put a ring on it. Like let her dance and have her moment on TikTok. Like don't, don't stick around that woman. Proverbs is warning us. Number six. Number seven. Run from the gossiping woman. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 9 says this, Love prospers when a fault is forgiven, but dwelling on it separates close friends. There's no closer friend than the one you marry. You hopefully marry your best friend. Song of Solomon says that uh, as the two people are going back and forth, that she is my lover and she is my friend. The idea is great lovers are great friends. Many of us think if we are friends, we need to avoid that area, but friendship builds a foundation for great love in the future. I'll save that for later. But nonetheless, look at what it says. Uh, when a fault is not forgiven and it's dwelled on, it separates close friends. Rumors, chapter 18, Proverbs 18, 8, are dainty morsels that sink into the deep into one's heart. Chapter 20, verse 19, a gossip goes around telling secrets, so don't hang around with the chatterers. Now, we're going to do a series in June called Momentum Killers, and we're going to look at the ways in which we can have sinful habits that kill the momentum of the work of God in our lives. We're going to talk about gossip then. Let me give you a little preview of what's coming in June on that sermon. Gossip, by definition, is talking about someone or something with someone who has no ability to affect or fix it. Some of you are like, I don't know what gossip is. Let me help you, because a lot of you call it prayer requests, it's not pr and, and it's <laughs> gossip, 
Because you, you ain't prayed an ounce about it, but you get into a room with some people and you lock eyes and you're like, oh, let's share it as a prayer request because we're concerned. If you didn't pray about it before you got into the group meeting, go home and pray about it at least once before you bring it up in a group meeting. Because that, that just, anyway, that's the soapbox. My, my point is this. When you come to someone who has no ability to affect change about something just so that you can have a conversation starter, that is not good conversation, that's not building good friendship or good community, that is by definition gossip. It's never gossip to go to someone who has the ability to affect change, who has the ability to, to work for good in a situation and bring in something up to them, there's something that can be done about it. But for many of you, you don't want anything to be done about it because if their life actually got through the trauma of whatever it is they were going through, you wouldn't have anything to talk about. If, if you're dating someone who constantly gossips, and every time you go out, you're celebrating other people's mistakes. Like, your favorite thing to do is to sit in the restaurant and make fun of everybody else around you and make up stories about the drama going on at church and other people's lives. Like, like if that's where you're at, young men, the encouragement is run, don't stay. Here's why I bring that up. The book of Proverbs runs through a father's advice in most chapters to their son. And then you hit Proverbs 31. And Proverbs 31.10 is the woman of honor. Anybody familiar with that? And in Proverbs 31.10, the uh, speaker changes from a father giving instruction to his son about who not to, to run to or to marry, to a mother speaking to her son about who to run to and marry, a woman of godly character. And so you get mom's insight. Now, I would love to teach Proverbs 31 to you, and some of you are like, I'm glad you're not, because that's the most discouraging text in the world as a woman to hear, because at times, if we're being honest, uh, we can hear sermons about godly character and godly women in Proverbs 31, and we see all of it put up on Pinterest walls and Pinterest boards, and in the middle of seeing all of that, we do not walk away encouraged or feeling like it's a celebration, but it's actually like a demarcation on what we have not been. And to be very clear, let me be very clear, because some men are like, ooh, I've got seven reasons I can break up with my girlfriend right now. Like, if you're already are searching for reasons to break up with her, you should have already done it. Like, you don't need a pastor to come and tell you, and don't blame Jesus for you doing what you know you need to do. Okay? Jesus told me at church today, it's not compatible. No. No. You, you, don't, you don't want to stop playing Xbox and budget and get out of debt and have a wife. So, like, like, like blame yourself. Don't blame Jesus for doing what you need to do. That, that was free for someone. I, I don't know. But here, here's my point. None of the application of godly characteristics are applicable apart from abiding in Christ. So er everything that we're about to see in chapter 2 about Ruth, everything that we read in Proverbs 31, verses 10 and on, about a woman of high character, all of these things in their application begin by you and I abiding in Christ. Jesus says, abide in me and I in you, for apart from me you can do... Okay, so what we are becoming is not a result of self-righteous effort, but it's a result of us abiding in the righteous one who brings by his spirit and power a transformed and new character. Now, I, I am pro-grace, meaning all of us at times, men and women, have been the person of bad character that we just talked about. Like, high school me was all seven, okay? Like, let, let me be honest. What I am today is by the grace of God. What I will be a decade from now, 
by, will be by the grace of God, and as I abide in Christ, my character, character can change. My point in bringing it up as run is you don't date when you need to be getting transformed and dependent upon Jesus. If you as an individual are in a position where you do not know who you are in Christ, don't jack up your identity further by dating someone to figure out your worth. Don't play a game of how, how attractive and what's the most attractive person I can draw, and, and as soon as I get another one, I'll trade out the new model for the old model. Like, like don't, don't get into this idea of practicing divorce before you ever get into marriage. Instead, if you see character deficiencies in your life, humbly come before Christ, who has the ability to empower us to be a new creation, transform us into becoming a new creation, and to make us into something brand new. Are, are you tracking with me? Awesome. Well, nobody. Okay. <laughs> are you thinking? Okay, seven. That's awesome. It's great. Characteristics of a godly woman. Ruth chapter 2. We're going to look at this chapter in depth next week, verse by verse. But for now, look at it with me. Ruth chapter 2, verse 2. It says, one day, Ruth... The Moabite said to Naomi, her mother-in-law, who is not Naomi, that means pleasant. Her name right now is what? Mara, which means bitter, ain't trying to live, just sitting here, such a joy to be around. Okay? And Ruth made this covenant, where you lay your head, I will lay my head, who will be your people, they'll be my people, your God will be my God. And she's with Naomi. We don't know how long they've been in uh, Bethlehem, but they've been back long enough for people to be talking about them in Bethlehem. And so Ruth's looking at it and goes, we're going to starve. Thanks. Let me go out into the harvest fields to pick up the stalks of grain left behind by anyone who is kind enough to let me do it. Naomi replied, I'll go with you. Let's start to move on into a new chapter. No. Naomi replied, all right, my daughter, go ahead. That's what grief sounds like. We're going to die. We should shower. We probably need to go to the market and get some food. You should do that. I'll be here. <laughs> She's not ready to move on. She's not ready to go forward. What do we see in Ruth that's a godly characteristic? We see right out the bat a woman of humility. She's not keeping score with Naomi. She's not looking for a I do 50, you do 50, we make the house run. Instead, a person of humility loves at a cost, serves at a cost, lays down their life at a cost, and doesn't sit there like stewing over the fact that they had to do more work than the other. Humility is this idea that she's not afraid to sit in the seat of a servant. She, in this season, is demonstrating this great characteristic of proving that she is more committed to being faithful than she is committed to being visible. Uh, that, 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 we're, we're turning the corner. That, that was the amen moment right there. You see, humility, when it's in your life, you are more consumed with being faithful to God than being seen by others. That's why it says in the word, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that in the right time he may elevate you. Some of you want to be elevated, but you don't want to humble yourself. So we lack character and we take shortcuts because we kick it into high gear when the right people are looking. But when they're not looking, we go back to being our same selfish way in person. Which means we are not a person that 
embodies the characteristic of humility, but we're still living carnally in the characteristic of wanting to be worshipped and celebrated and seen by everybody around us. You see, a godly characteristic to look for, a woman to run to is a woman of humility, a woman that serves with no need of being noticed, a woman that's willing to be faithful over being visible. I learned this a long time ago as a young man. God's first plan in your life is that you would humble yourself under his authority and leadership. But when you don't, the path of pride leads you to a dead end always called humiliation. God's first plan for your life is that you would humble yourself under his hand. When you don't, in your self-righteousness and pride, and you're like, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to be seen, and I'm going to elevate myself, and I'm going to build my life into being something great, and then I'm going to go, God, look at it, celebrate it. Isn't it great? Look at what I built for you. In that moment, what you find is a great fall. And instead of humbling yourself, you find yourself in the path of humiliation. So the seven characteristics of a woman to run to in Ruth chapter 2 begins with seeing a woman that is a woman of humility. Number one. Number two, she is a woman of diligence. Look at verse 7. It goes on and says this. She asked me this morning if she could gather grain. So Boaz shows up on the scene. Let me give you some context since we're skipping around chapter 2. I'm sure all of you read it before you came into church today. Amen. Um, Boaz shows up, and he gives a godly greeting to his workers. We'll see that next week. His, his workers give a godly greeting back. Uh, we're going to talk about in the last week of this series how business should be godly. How we should be people in business, male and female, who do it in a godly way that speaks to the gospel and the kingdom of God, which is greater than the gold that many people sacrifice their integrity on the altar for. Okay? Boaz gives a godly greeting. He sees this woman that is harvesting in the background, and he comes up and is like, who is that woman, and who's, who does she belong to? Where's her husband? He essentially is saying, how does a woman like that stay single? How's a woman like Ruth out here single? Here's what I want you to know. Not every man is going to say that about you as a single lady. But there's going to be a godly man that God's going to send one day, and they're going to look at you, and they're going to be like, how in the world are you still single? And all you're going to have been doing is serving God humbly, walking and finding yourself in the presence of God, around the people of God, serving the kingdom of God until the day that God brought them into your life. But there will be a day where you will not be looking for the scraps at someone else's table, but someone will come and recognize you as a daughter of king that's been seated at his table, and they'll treat you like a daughter of the king whenever they pursue you. And until they come, you would just save yourself a whole lot of baggage if you would just say, move on. Because if you're an option amongst many, you're on a reality show you don't want to be on, not a godly path of dating that will actually carry you to a good place. Now, she's a woman of diligence. She's a woman of diligence. Look at what it goes on to say out of this in verse 23a. So Ruth worked alongside the women in Boaz's field and gathered grain with them until the end of the barley harvest. Then, after that harvest, so we're not talking about like a few days, but after that harvest, she continued working with them through the wheat harvest into the early summer. So she's diligent in the sense that she doesn't go out for one day's hard work and then it's like, okay, well, I did it. But she continues working day after day after day gleaning in the field so that she and her mother-in-law, Naomi, can have enough for the winter. She's a woman of diligence. Run to that woman. Number three, she's a woman of gratitude. She's a woman of gratitude. Look at verse 10. Boaz approaches Ruth, and after he approaches her, Ruth fell at his feet and thanked him warmly. What have I done to deserve such kindness, she asked. I am only 
a foreigner. She throws out gratitude. Here's why this is so impressive. In the book of Leviticus, it's commanded that as the people of God in Israel, you leave the corners of your field and the gleanings, the, as you're harvesting your field, the parts that fall off on the ground, you're commanded to leave the corners and the things that fall off that hit the ground, you leave them behind for the widow and the foreigner. Which I'm just going to insert my little comment here about how generosity is never accidental and you won't become generous magically when you win the lottery. If you're greedy now, you'll be greedy later. It doesn't matter how many pay raises you get. It doesn't matter how much stuff you get. If you can't honor God with the first fruits of your money now, you won't honor him when you get a raise. You won't honor him when you get out of debt. Greedy people stay greedy. But generous people make generous plans. It says so in the book of Isaiah. It says in Isaiah, uh, I'll quote it and put it up a lot to, later on my Facebook, but it's in the book of Isaiah. It says, a generous man devises generous plans, and by his generosity he stands. So you never wake up in the morning and you're like, how did we get so generous last night? Like, it's crazy. We went down to the orphanage and we were just making it rain. You know, doesn't happen. Doesn't happen. Generosity, when you look at the law, is to be premeditated and predetermined. It's premeditated. I already have a plan before the paycheck comes about what I'm going to leave behind. One of my favorite things my wife and I get to do, and my wife initiated this, is we leave 1% of our income in an ongoing cash envelope for our neighbor. So we take 1% above our tithes and offers and everything else, and we just stuff it in an envelope. And at the end of the year, usually, we come into contact, or throughout the year, we'll come into contact with someone, a widow, someone who's in a time of transition, and we're able to have cash and bless them. A couple of years, we didn't have anyone that God brought up to mind, so we prayed about it and went to a restaurant that we had frequented, and we left the largest cash tip we had ever left in our lives. And then we ran outside and looked through the window, and when they go and pick it up, we're like, yes, and it's the best money we spend. <laughs> are you generous? Are you dating someone who's generous? Or are they greedy? Are they known in character as being a generous person? You see, Ruth could have said to Boaz, you're just giving me what I deserve because it says so in the Bible. But instead, she expresses gratitude, which leads to our next trait. Not only is she gracious, but she's a woman of honor. She fell at his feet. She thanked him warmly. What have I done to deserve such kindness? I'm only a foreigner. Yes, I know, Boaz, but I also know about everything you have done for your mother-in-law. What's he saying? I've heard about you. And what you've done is worthy of recognition. It's worthy of honor. Now, she's not saying recognize me. He's recognizing her. That, you can't, I mean, you can honor yourself, I guess. I mean, that, that's probably in the positive, you know, mindset movement. You know, like just honor yourself. You know, throw yourself a party. If you never graduated, throw yourself a graduation for graduating from nothing. Like, it'll be awesome. Everyone's a snowflake. Everyone gets a ribbon. Everyone participates. Everyone wins. Okay, like, like stop that. Like, sometimes losses help you develop character. Like, stop taking corners off of parts of life that need corners. Like, when your kids are, this is free, but when your kids are doing dangerous stuff carefully, like, let it happen. <laughs> There's an education in that. Like, stop, stop, like, like, like how many of y'all seen Little Giants with the kid that comes out and his mama's got, like, like, don't be that mom, come on. You're a good mom, but like he don't need a helmet all the time unless the doctor says he does, and don't listen to what I'm saying. But you know, I'm... <laughs> sorry, but 
I also know about everything you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. I have heard how you left your father and mother and your own land to live here among complete strangers. I've, I've heard about what you've done. Uh, I got verse 12. Is that in there? Yeah. So look at this. May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. She receives honor because she's walking in the path of obedience towards God. She's walking towards God, not away from God. You run towards a woman of honor, a woman of gratitude, a woman of diligence, a woman of humility. Number five, you still with me? Run towards a woman of good rapport. In the middle of verse 11, we see Boaz recounting what he's heard about her. She has a reputation. Now, I, I know that I'm making fun of reality TV shows, but how many of you have watched them? And it's like watching a train coming straight on at this little Fiat. And the person in the Fiat's just singing Taylor Swift and is having a great time. 22! And, like just, and, and you're like, you're going to die. Like, this is going to go. This is, and, and usually it's, it's the guy seasons of those shows where all the girls. Because they, they, they don't hold back facts. I got facts. And you need to hear this because they're here for the wrong reasons. And this has happened like on 674 seasons of the show, right? And every time, is the mob right? Yeah. Like if everybody around the person is going... That's a bad idea. Let me tell you what I saw Bonquiqui doing a couple weeks ago. Like if, if everybody is saying, like if they don't have a good reputation, you're like, oh, it's just, they're being mean. They're being overly critical. No, you're going to get devoured because you're not listening to the fact that her reputation is speaking for what's coming in the future of that relationship. And while it may be concealed in the early parts of your dating, but apart from Christ and a radical transformation in their life, what you have is a reputation that precedes them. If their reputation precedes them as being a woman of God, then green light. Like, that's a good sign. I never will forget the first time I was downtown with BP and Lee back when all they had was a really sketchy East End down by the Army-Navy store. Y'all remember when you needed a knife if you were going down by the Army-Navy store after dark? Like, anybody remember that? Y'all didn't hang out in downtown Greenville much. Okay. Just imagine what Spartanburg, never mind, Spartanburg's still like that. Um, <coughs> Boo, that was good. <laughs> if you can't laugh at that, I ain't going to be your pastor. This ain't going to work. Uh, <coughs> but it used to be sketchy in downtown Greenville. And I remember we were down there, and Morgan was dating some short guy that needed to meet Jesus and grow up. And uh, um, my friend BP and Lee uh, BP, he's, he's met Jesus, he's got a godly wife, they have a godly family, he's a pastor of a great church. But BP, let's just say he dated a lot of ladies back in the day. I don't know what you call it, but it ain't, it ain't for church. So uh, he, he saw Morgan across the road from Coffee Underground, and he, and he was just like, man, that girl is, she's incredible, she, she loves the Lord, she can sing, she worships, and he's just talking. And, and I literally, my mom was like, I want to marry that girl. Legitimately. I never met her. I mean, I barely got a glimpse of her, but I could smell the aroma of the Lord. It was just like <laughs> off her reputation. I said, like, I'm, I'm going to marry that girl. And you know why I knew I was going to marry her? Because she told BP no. <laughs> it's a woman of character. A lot of women should have told BP no back in the day, okay? And they didn't. So that was a character red flag. Now, have, you, have you dated Brian? Yes, we can't date. It's bad rapport. But here, here's, my, here's my point. If, she is, if you in the community around you are hearing bad things, it likely means that that reputation has been produced by 
character issues in their life. Ruth chapter 3, verse 11, goes on and says this. Um, and the next chapter, no, don't worry about a thing. This is Boaz speaking to her, my daughter. I will do what is necessary, for everyone in town knows you are a... We've heard about you. Heard about you. She's a woman of good rapport. Number six, she's a woman of service. Ruth chapter 2, verse 11. It goes on and says, Yes, I know, Boaz replied, but I uh, also know everything about you and what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of her husband. You've served. You've got a lifestyle of service. Many people go on mission trips. What we've yet to understand is that it's not about a mission trip. It's about a life that is a mission. And when you understand that your life is a mission or your life is a service, then it doesn't matter what scenario you're in, you represent Christ well. I know that's quick, but I mean, that, that, was, that was a really good last-minute point that I just threw in there for somebody. Some of you are like, I'll serve God when I go to Thailand. No, it's like you figure out how to serve God here because your life is a mission, and then whether or not you're in Thailand or in Duncan, God's honored and the kingdom has come because you're living a life that's a life of service. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Mark 10, 45, still remember that one. Uh, the idea is if you are not a person of the towel, then you are going to get into a marriage and in an act or lack of character of service, find yourself with two selfish people who are like vacuum cleaners, both wanting to take, but no one wanting to give. And so it's, it's really important that you understand, if you're getting ready to date, that you don't want to date someone that's self-centered and focused on themselves being number one. I, I, I love the fact that in our culture we've got a lot of yarding we throw out there, but I, I don't want to date most of the characteristics that they say are good. I see them as vices when I look at the Bible, not virtues. Like this whole, like, me first stuff. No, like God first. And if God's not first, then I don't want to be up in it. I mean, that, the whole point of dating is not so that you can get through your teenage years and have good prom pictures to show your kids. Like, it's not... So she can have a good time. Because trust me, 30-year-olds, 40-year-olds speak to this. How embarrassing is it whenever you serially dated as a person of bad character, other people of bad character, and now as an adult parent who's a follower of Jesus, you bump into them at the supermarket. You're around town and you're like, all those memories come back about all the commandments you broke. And you look at your child and realize they're the same age and you're like, holy cannoli. Right? Why, why, why do you date if you choose to date? You, you date to figure out, is this a man of God? Is this a woman of God? And would God have us together build a legacy? So we're like, that's not sexy enough. Well, let me tell you what is sexy. 60 plus years of marriage on a porch, holding hands as madly or more madly in love than you were in the beginning. My, my wife and I, by the grace of God, are freaks. Let me explain. Some of you are like, what do you mean? This is kind of sketchy. You said the word freak. Like, what? <laughs> I, I, I was a virgin the day I got married. And by the grace of God, so was my wife. And you've been told in this culture that it just doesn't exist. It does. It's just not celebrated and talked about. And I am grateful for the fact that I don't have baggage of other relationships that came into my marriage that crossed physical lines that came, came in. It has saved us grief. It has given us great, great opportunity to build a great foundation. And the reason I bring that up is this. Some of you crossed lines physically. 
God redeems that. His grace is sufficient for you. But some of you are on the, on the brink. And, and maybe you're in high school and junior high and you're hearing this and you just don't heard anyone tell you. It is okay to love Jesus and be unique and weird. And what you save yourself in walking with Jesus, it, it, it's not saving yourself in some way that's going to bring salvation to you. Jesus' blood does that regardless of what you've done. What it does do is it ensures that you walk Jesus' way so that you don't have the enemy or the world's baggage that comes into your marriage that you then have to work through. I, I want to save you from the heartache of a lot of the junk that many of my friends have had to walk through because of crossing these kinds of lines and ignoring character because there was good chemistry. Ruth was a woman of service. Finally, the last one I'll throw out there is she was a woman of contentment. She was a woman of contentment. Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, it says, After she gathered the barley there all day, and when she had beat out the grain that evening, it filled the entire basket. She took that basket home to her mother, and when she took that basket home, she continued to live with her mother-in-law into the next harvest season and the next harvest season and the next harvest season. My point is simply this. It takes a lot of contentment to be content whenever God has you in a position of living with a mother-in-law. She's not grumbling. She's not complaining. She's not fast-forwarding and cutting corners to get Boaz's attention. Now, Naomi's, Naomi's going to give her some terrible advice in chapter 3. The worst advice I've ever heard. Basically, put on lipstick, go to the bar, and wait. Like, that's a terrible idea. Okay? We'll talk about that in two weeks. But here, here's my point. Today, if you are dating, getting ready to date, ladies, I would encourage you to ask, God, am I ready? Am I a woman of character? Am I abiding in you for my worth and my value, or am I dating for it? Am I trusting in you? for my past, my present, and my future? Am I willing to wait, even if I've got to say the cheesy thing on Valentine's Day, that Jesus is my boyfriend because I'm waiting on the right Boaz and not some broke version of him to come into my life? Save yourself the grief. Men, if you're considering dating, and all you continue to do is find women who lack godly character, I would encourage you to prayerfully consider character over chemistry. Character over chemistry. Some of the best relationships. I never will forget. This will be the, for real the last thing. Martin Luther, not the King Jr., Martin Luther, the reformer, he broke a bunch of women out of a nunnery and he promised them husbands. <laughs> so he said, I'm going to break in. If you want to get out, I'm going to get you out. They loaded them up in barrels and lowered them out of a wall of the nunnery. And so he got all these women out of the nunnery and got them husbands, except for one. There was not a lot of chemistry between her or anybody. <laughs> So she looked at Luther and she said, you promised me a husband, so you'll have to do. They got married, and their love story is one of the best love stories. The joy, the laughter, the camaraderie they had in Christ together built a relationship that started maybe in a lack of chemistry, but ended in overwhelming amounts of chemistry. Here's my point. Character will always win the day. Character always wins the day. It always wins the day. You may look good on the driving range. You may look good like in the performance in the pregame, but it is character that comes out victorious when the game begins. And in dating and in relationships, chemistry may be what draws you. It may be what catches your eye, but it is character that keeps a healthy, lasting relationship long. So abide in Him, 
And may you become more and more like Jesus. And in doing so, may you love your neighbor, who you're dating, perhaps your future spouse, in a way that grows and becomes rich in time. Season like good wine. In Jesus' name, amen. Prayer team's going to be here. If we can pray for you, we'd love to do so. Let's stand to our feet and respond. We'll move as the Lord leads.